You're listening to Tech Nest, the PropTech Podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Hey, John. Welcome to the show. Nate, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here, a fellow Philly native on the phone, on the, on the line here, if you will. Now, everyone you gives bet. me this Everyone gives me this question, and I'm sure you get tired of it because they're like, where do you go for the best cheesesteak? Or they'll be like, <laughs> is it Pat's or is it Gino's? Like, where do you go? Right. But I, I, I'm going to ask you something differently that only us regional okay. people know. Where do you go for the best tomato pie? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so it's, it's kind of a sacrilege, but it's true in that I'm in this area of greater Philadelphia, but I'm from New Jersey. And so right over the, the border – which you still pulls Philadelphia that in the pre-show. I, I almost shut this down. <laughs> uh, is is Di Lorenzo's is one of the best tomato pies in the planet, uh, but it's sort of on that border where it's close enough to Cherry Hill uh, and the Ben Franklin Bridge that it does pull that Philadelphia corridor in. Uh, mm. So maybe it's not a, a true blue Philly, but it's it's damn good and close enough to Philadelphia that I have to call out Di Lorenzo's. Yep. There is just some things that you got to be from the area to understand and to know about because, you know, it's one thing to say like dippy eggs. We all know what dippy eggs is if you're from the the area, but that goes a little bit outside of Philly. But, and I promise we're going to get to real estate, but this is important. Tomato pie is extremely regional. Corpolis is my go-to outside of Phoenixville. And, and, and and so even people in Pittsburgh don't even know what tomato pie is. That's how Pittsburgh has permanis, right? So that's a whole different deal out West. Yeah. So it's it's a whole different thing. We'll save the conversation with Scrapple and pork roll for a whole nother uh, day here. That's true. uh, I've got John Sicilian Jr. He's co-founder and CEO Sicilian partners. We already covered out of the Philly area. He's a veteran from the retail industry uh, many years uh, but in 2019, launched Sicilian Partners, bringing digital transformation to planned communities. And in that short amount of time, Sicilian Partners has already built out tech that's effectively digitizing an end-to-end land and property development process, bringing data to one place for those teams, automating manual activities, delivering better, faster customer experience. I want to start with this here. You, you had a, a pretty long career already in on the retail side of real estate, why For would sure. you make the switch to going after planned communities? And I'm going to caveat that even further. For those of us in the Philly area, we saw the the damage and chaos in the great financial crisis that hit the home builders quite significantly. So even having already probably known that and seeing that happen around the Philly area, why would you go into this side of the real estate industry? Whoa, those are all good questions. Uh, let me answer the first question. So production home building is near and dear to my heart because my family had a business in creative marketing services and brand, uh, a true ad agency for about 30 years in this space, selling to community developers and production builders. And for years and years, my mother, who was the CEO of, of her organization, 
would often tease and joke with me about why is it that we get a better customer experience buying a handbag from one of your Michael Kors stores or buying sneakers from one of your Under Armour stores than we ever do buying a production home. And I never really understood what that meant until my wife and I were shopping for new home construction uh, a little over a decade ago. And I went through sort of the gamut of, of shopping large regional home builders and the big national publicly traded home builders. And like for like, the opportunity for a better and seamless customer experience was front mm-hmm. and center. I couldn't believe how many opportunities there were around data collection, customer engagement, both online and in person, pricing and understanding how pricing moves across the transom, if you will. And I saw a lot of low-hanging fruit that retail had already really solved. And this notion of kind of bringing that best practice strategic thinking from the retail industry into production home building. And that's where uh, I think the genesis of, of, of my idea and ideas of, of coming to this category, starving for help and disruption, uh, really came full circle. And that was at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019. And I decided to start this thing. Um, retail has been tough. So as you can imagine, with the advent of, of, of Amazon and what it's done over the last 15 years, it's really changed how brick and mortar retail exists. Uh, and many store teams have changed. Things have changed across the industry. Things have gotten smaller uh, and I was the the product of uh, three layoffs in about 18 months. Uh, and I took that as sort of a sign from the business gods to go out and start something on my own. And the rest is history. I love the now, resiliency this, there, though. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, entrepreneurism is really hard. <clears throat> I think many people talk about being an entrepreneur. They teach it in both undergraduate and graduate school. Uh, they talk about it all the time. It's sort of like this badge of honor. The, the hard reality is that, Entrepreneurship, I do think, is a level of almost DNA wiring uh, that is required for people to want to embrace and do things that are really hard. You know, people mm-hmm. always say they want to be their own boss, and so then they, I think, don't realize that means that you work even more if you're your own boss. So the concept of holidays or time off is by choice, uh, not by design of the company you work for. So I think in many ways, there's been great learnings the last few years. Uh, to double down on the second part of your question around why new home construction. So mm-hmm. the timing has been really interesting, Nate. Um, the, the global pandemic changed how we look at new home construction as a whole, right? There's been uh, a surge, a gr- hyper growth across key markets in the U.S. from major city centers like Philadelphia, like New York City and others, where places like Phoenix, uh, places like Austin, places like Boise, Idaho, uh, places like Dallas, Texas have grown at a, at a breakneck pace. And that growth is predicated on new home construction, on putting new homes on beautiful lots in subdivisions or planned communities across the U.S. And there's been a a voracious nature of that sort of upswing. The reality, regardless of the global downturn of 08 and what happened in real estate, people need homes. People need shelter. That's never going to go away, whether it's built for rent or multifamily or single family for rent, more traditional. uh, There's always going to be a need to put people in homes uh, so they have a roof over their head. And that process, if you will, uh, can be better, can be digitized better, can be operationalized better. And that's where my company and our products come in to help home builders sort of answer the call of those challenges as they sell their products to customers. I absolutely love this. And there's there's so much, you know, as I was doing a little bit of digging on what you guys are creating and bringing to market and I was reflecting on my own experience, 2006, 2008, working at a home builder, as I mentioned to you pre-show in the Harleysville area. And I was just thinking through of like all the different areas that 
that's trying to like reconcile with today. Like that's really how it worked. Like paper maps, like all the prices totally fixed because they were printed on things and distributed and like, Hey, we weren't going to put out the expense to update that. So that's got to stay, has to stay what it is. You know, I mean, it was just so much about that. That's like what you're saying. It's not even a matter of just disruption for the sake of disrupting. It's, it's about consumer experience. It's about really bringing, you know, something that's modern to the customer, meeting them where they're at mm-hmm. and expect buying and selling to be. And, it, and if it's a if something as important as your home, you're building mm-hmm. a new home. And anyone who's ever built a new home, there's so much there. You know, they're not the ones literally put up the walls, but there's a lot of pride that goes into, yeah, we built our home. Absolutely. Yeah. It just, just makes sense process to want to bring buyer. that to I mean, them. to your point on on pride, like think about that journey, right? You you go online in the online sales experience. Maybe you identify your floor plan and elevation. From there, you're mm-hmm. on site meeting with the builder sales rep. Then you walk through that entire journey and process together. Then you get even more excited. You get to walk through foundation and then framing and then roof and then outlets or you know where the light fixtures go. Like those little pieces in that kind of semi-custom journey gives a heightened sense of ownership to the consumer in a way that other things that we buy don't. And to your point on pride. You know, home, the illusion or the the concept of home ownership or the idea of really putting together where you're going to live and dwell and be with yourself or your family or your significant other, however that is composed, uh, is mm-hmm. very, very precious and needs to be treated as such. And I think the reason why I'm so passionate about wanting to solve uh, the, the, the customer journey for home builders is because I don't think that it is taken as seriously as it could be taken. And I don't want to say that as a catch-all. Uh, I think that in many ways there are opportunities and there's great builders out there that do it beautifully where they do provide a wonderful end-to-end customer journey for their aspiring home buyer. But there's other builders that like, it just doesn't exist that way. It really is more about um, selling widgets at speed uh, and making sure that happens. And I do think the global pandemic has taught us around how consumers engage with brands and what their expectations are, whether it's digital from the comfort of their couch, surfing online, or is in person, around how rehearsed some of these customers are. I mean, our customers almost know more about the elevations and floor plans provided than the builder sales reps. I mean, that's well documented in surveys. It's really interesting. Yeah, that that's an interesting right uh, piece right there. Yeah, of course, you're going to pay attention to the, the minute details of, of your community when you're looking at buying that house there. Um, I'd like to start with, before we get into some of the solutions that you guys have put together, obviously, you had to do some due diligence. You had familiarity and awareness of the industry. Um, but what do you see as like the real pain points or bottlenecks that exist up until today, whether by fault of builders or just the way things have you know gone in the market that you thought, hey, these are the very specific pain points we want to tackle because they can make the most improvements or they could dramatically change the journey for the customer? That's a good question, Nate. So the the biggest challenges that I know exist today are that of what we call disparate systems. And that's sort of a a fancy tech technology term, whereas home builders buy a lot of different solutions. They buy a product for CRM. They buy a product Mm -hmm. for digital marketing. They buy a product for maybe inventory management or mapping, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. And all of those products are a door to capturing that aspiring home buyer. The problem is those three doors in this example don't talk to one another. So John Smith comes in through door A online. John Smith comes in online to the in-person experience, filling out that five by seven note card. And John Smith is also captured somehow in CRM. Now you have three John Smiths in your database. 
How do you know as a builder sales rep how to really market to John Smith? How do you engage with John Smith so he has a perfect experience from start to finish? And I think that's one of the big challenges and where we started in my organization is trying to find a way to create a what we call a single source of truth. Sounds kitschy, but it's real in a Mm -hmm. platform that allows all of those doors to be captured in one area. So now there's one record for that one person who's engaging across your products. This is very much the parallel, Nate, to, to, to retail. A quick aside, in, in 2007, the iPhone launched. And this notion of being able to shop from your mobile device wasn't really even there yet. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, with the advent of the iPhone, really blew up e-commerce. And so brick-and-mortar retailers now had three different forms by 2011 to capture Uh, there would be repeat customer. The first was brick and mortar at the point of sale, right? In that Mm -hmm. four wall space. The second was through e-commerce. They log in online, they buy something online and they save their email address, second record. And now the third is the mobile device and how they engage to the app if it applies and how they shop there. The problem for retailers in those kind of early 2010s, call it, is that it created these false sense of records. You had CMOs of huge retailers that had databases that might have a quarter million people over what is actually real. And that's because of disparate systems and disparate mm-hmm. data, right? This mm-hmm. notion that we have data parked all over the place and it's not being centralized. This industry, production, home building, and residential real estate is sitting on a gold mine of data. The challenge is, do they understand how to get the most out of it, making sure that it's accurate and correct and that they're able to glean from it future decision-making for their business, whether it's pricing, whether it's marketing, whether it's inventory, whether it's operations, whether it's even design and elevation and floor plans, right? And I think that's something that is really meaningful that we're trying to help solve. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. I mean, uh, and I, I was—I have to ask you this: Are billboards? Yeah. And this is going to be like a very specific thing. Billboards. Are, yeah, I love this question. Go ahead. Yeah. Are, are billboards actually a driver of? Dude, visitors to this home is communities. The great, I have gotten an and you know why I'm asking this. Yes, I do. Okay. The great debate. The great debate is measure my unit of conversion in the welcome center, right? How do I know why this family, this individual, came into my welcome center, and now why they want to peruse these lots or this plan or what have you, right? Mm-hmm. And no doubt, especially in places like Florida uh, or Texas, where you're driving on major highways uh, and you see billboard after billboard telling a story. The issue. It's not even an issue. It's it's what's always been done, right? If, if for 30 mm-hmm. or 40 years, you've always done billboards to tell the story of your brand, that's what you know. That's what you're going to be comfortable doing. It's not because it's a value or because it costs less money. You know, innovation and software costs about the same or a little bit less, but it's foreign, right? It's not a monetary challenge. It is an understanding of the perceived value of what you get. And no doubt, billboards, I think that they are there for a reason, But I'm sure if you were to look at those capture cards, what percentage of new home sales come from billboards has to be very little. Um, It's a great debate because the truth is that there really isn't a measurable conversion from driving on I-95 in South Florida and seeing half a dozen Mm -hmm. billboards saying, gee whiz, I saw your billboard. It made me do a U-turn and come look at your houses starting at the 300s. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Look, I was a building services coordinator. Okay, that was my title, right? I was glorified security and maintenance guy. I hung photos and then got calls when there were squatters in our farmhouses. And even then, I remember thinking, wait a minute, you're telling me 
billboards are the thing that people that's why they're buying our homes is because they saw our billboards and back then i was having a tough time believing it i don't i still i don't debate that it might be influential or helpful in some sure. key areas but with with what you're talking about having like a source of truth that dispels that well we've always done it this way because it has to be done this way we can actually see the numbers and say hey look mm-hmm. this is this is really what's working we should mm-hmm. put more money or effort into these other areas rather than just do what's always been done because mm-hmm. it may not be driving the the response or you know the results that we were looking for I wanted to give an opportunity and shift into a little bit because I know that you guys are covering a whole bunch of different areas in, in helping these planned communities from a product perspective and kind of get mm-hmm. a, a broad overview of some of the, the solutions that Sicilian Partners is bringing to market. Uh, and sure. I know there's some some newer tools that you guys have recently released and, and put out there. Uh, so the opportunity mm-hmm. to, to dig into those. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. So uh, I think I'll start with a place that's natural, right? So I obviously I've been carrying on about this importance of, of, of data capture and what that looks like and having this kind of singular platform that does it. And so uh, the cute logo you see on my hat, the XO, is our flagship product, right? It is our enterprise platform uh, known in sort of other walks as, as kind of an ERP solution. That acronym is Enterprise Resource Planning. Uh, so it is it is a platform meant to capture for operators, marketers, and salespeople all the key information that allows your business to run. We call it the XO because it's the marriage of experiential data and operational data coming together mm. as sort of one pure platform to allow builders and developers to work together uh, and create sort of new efficiencies, you know, better communication rhythms, uh, clarity uh, on workflows and other pieces. And that's really what uh, the XO is designed to do. And, and, and that's been our flagship product now uh, going on almost five years. Uh, we have two patents on the product, both global and domestic. Very proud about how that's come to life over the last couple of years. Uh, we have a handful of other products that are all complementary. So uh, a way to look at Sicilian partners, we're, we're what's called a vertically integrated software business. So all seven of our solutions can work together in tandem or work apart. It just depends what you're looking for as a would-be client. Uh, to your earlier uh, question a second ago, uh, the latest product that's come to life is something we call Customer Blueprint. So Customer Blueprint is a white-labeled resident loyalty application. And you can say, gosh, a resident loyalty app, there's hundreds of those, no doubt. The caveat of our of our resident loyalty application is it really is the ability to give residents everything they want in the palm of their hand. Meaning, if you live in any HOA today, you have mm-hmm. an HOA app that you have to use to pay your HOA pen. And then you have your maintenance app if you want to schedule some sort of issue uh, within the community at large or even in your backyard. And then you have maybe some sort of great app that would engage the community, like uh, I'm going to schedule a tea time or I'm going to go ahead and, uh, I don't know, attend an event that's in a local place, local local community. Imagine having all of that in the palm of your hand, right? So a single white-labeled app that the developer, the, the, the actual real estate developer provides to all builders and all residents in the HOAs and allows residents to engage the community in a way they never have before, right? Meaning that in the palm of their hand, they can do a, a, a HOA payment, they can schedule maintenance, they can even schedule an Uber, they can even make uh, reservations at their local restaurant. Uh, they can also schedule a tea time. They can even have key card access all in one app. That's mm-hmm. how a modern resident loyalty app should be. And that's what ours is designed to do. Um, it is being rolled out at, at two uh, master plan communities, one in a primary market in, in Southwest Florida, uh, the other in a secondary market outside of Phoenix. Can't disclose the name of the communities because they're uh, sort of a skunk works projects, but they're coming to life at speed. Uh, and starting in fiscal 24, uh, we have a handful of others that we're going to be launching this in. 
Um, it's exciting, Nate, because it's, I think, answering the call of what so many, so many land developers uh, and planned community developers are looking for in the sense of giving their residents something that puts them in the driver's seat, right? Yeah. Uh, no more do you have to download all these applications to kind of understand what to manage. It's really about engagement and meeting them halfway. But I would see also a uh, potential long-term value is, is customer lifetime value, right? I mean, if yes, you have LTVs you move into everything. a planned you move into a planned community, you love your house, it's built well, and whether you whether you graduate to a bigger home because you're expanding your family or you're downsizing, the natural, in my opinion, the natural go-to would be like, hey, why don't we go with the builder we went with before because things have 100%. worked out? Yeah, as you know, that's is that a, big is that a focus right? for builders. It should be a focus. I, I will tell you from the HOA perspective, when you speak to HOA managers, especially if you, let's say you built new and that family that was there five to seven years moves out. One of the biggest gripes for that next people, next group of people moving in is what's the color of my house? What's my elevation called? What's the name of my floor plan? Like there should be a record of that, right? And the power mm. of customer blueprint is it gives you that record. So there's continuity in the journey to your point in lifetime value, right? And then yeah. to your point, you as the home buyer can actually name who your builder is. I mean, too often, and I've done this through secret shops. I've done this through ethnographies. When you do a man on the street interview uh, in one of these great master plan communities and you say, hey, what builders do you shop? In my experience, less than half of those residents can even tell you the names of the builders they shopped and why they chose the builder they chose. It's more, they chose the floor plan and the floor plan was X, Y, Z to them, right? If that makes sense versus what the builder stands for from a brand perspective. Uh, and I think that's something that is starting to get better, especially you see really remarkable regional builders doing some incredible things. Uh, I'll mm -hmm. shout out to a couple. One is Garmin Homes in Apex, North Carolina. Uh, Elena and team do things in a way that's remarkable. Akel Homes uh, outside of uh, Tallahassee, Florida uh, is also amazing. Alex Akel does some beautiful stuff. I mean, these are people that I think are very connected to who their home buyer is and then creates a story arc around the product they sell to meet that, to meet that demand, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no doubt you guys have been busy and, and part of your expansion as a company uh, and to continue building out these products and developing new tech has been, uh, you closed your Series A just about what, a month or two ago. Yeah, yeah more about I think that. it's, yeah, for sure, man. It's been, it's been a really intense year. Uh, you know, it's, it's no secret what's been going on in the landscape with capital raising, both in the venture side and private mm -hmm. equity side. Uh, Sicilian Partners today is deemed a growth stage firm. So we go from kind of that early stage now to growth stage. And uh, that's an exciting period to be in. I, I met with over 30 different uh, capital partners over the last year. And uh, we met a tremendous group out of Baltimore, Maryland called Resolve Growth Partners, uh, led by two founders and Chris and Jit, great guys, uh, both understand our mission and vision. So they're not just capital, but they're also uh, a primary supporter and a strategic supporter of our growth uh, as an organization. And then on top of that, uh, we had a group out of Dallas-Fort Worth called Perot Jane, uh, which has been around since 2015. Uh, and Dallas being our primary market of, of most growth and most co customer concentration for us uh, means a great deal. So a lot of strategic positioning there. What I would tell you, Nate, is that in a market where so many early stage founders are having trouble raising money, I think for us, we feel very grateful and very lucky uh, to have found Resolve. But more importantly, I think it's demonstrative of hope in the market that there's so much noise about inflation and the economy and all these other form factors. I do think that if you have a good product, a great addressable market, and a clear vision, 
you can raise real money and you can really make a difference for your organization and the industry you serve. And I think that's an important distinction that I want to make sure the listeners understand. That's almost a perfect segue for me to go ahead and right now, and I'm going to plug the TechNest newsletter uh, because today's article was product is your best marketing channel. And I, I pulled that actually from the first CMO of Zillow who went on to be their COO and now board director, uh, Amy. And uh, that's actually what she credits the early success of Zillow. They focused on making the product something would people would like to use, want to talk about and tell their friends. That's exactly what she mm -hmm. said. And that was their marketing strategy uh, to take it to market. And I think you totally nailed it on the head there. I mean, uh, you know, you've got to create something that people really want to use. And in your case, not just the, the end consumer, but you have to get an industry that traditionally has been a little slower moving on the tech side. Right. No yeah. And so let, yeah. let's talk through that. Right. And, and so I, I pulled this quote because I thought this was really this is great from Stephanie McCartney on your team. Uh, and while this industry has been stubbornly resisted and it has stubbornly resisted innovation and new technology, much of that thing is behind us. Um, and then it goes on to just talk about what you guys have been doing, like how, but I want to ask you, like, how have you been curbing the, uh, objections to adopting new tech or to seeing mm -hmm. that, Hey, there's a better way to do business, uh, no moving forward. So older tech companies sell their tech. They don't sell, they don't sell the end goal. Uh, and so what we try to do is sell the end goal through a level of strategic partnership uh, and customer support. So our largest, so we're a 35 person team today, Nate, and uh, the large, a third of my 35 person team is committed to customer success and delivery. So we oh, wow. always call ourselves sort of stewards of data, uh, stewards of customer success. None of our clients are ever alone in the, in the woods by themselves. We are, we usher them from implementation to stand up to go live forever uh, for the duration of the contract. And we take great pride. If I'm going to tell you that I'm here to fix customer success and service, I need to be a customer service focused oriented firm. Uh, and so we stand behind that. And I think the reason why we've had such great adoption, why we've had knock on wood, uh, we were at full candor, 98% retention, right? So we've lost very, very few, if none, customers since inception. It's because of the commitment we have to service and ensuring that our end user is supported every step of the way. To your point, you can't ask people to swim in new waters without the right support mechanisms, right? And that's what we've done and continue to do and will always do uh, for as long as I'm the CEO of this company. So, so yeah. Oh, I do. I do love that, the, the service mentality and, and working on that. And obviously that's been, that's been working well, uh, and also out of that same press release on the Series A, you guys were able to successfully triple your growth in, in a 12-month yep. period, which is well beyond venture level. Is that purely just the service side? Is there something else that's like cooking in the, the kitchen here that's driving uh, that? I think, I think that we have a very driven team. I think I'm lucky to have a team of people, co-executives and others that are all driven with the same mission and vision of real estate transformation and making sure that's happening. So I think that starts for me and goes all the way to other folks on my team. So I think there's a great passion here of why that's about. I also mm -hmm. think, and you sort of said it a moment ago, uh, in our industry, because it is tech laggard to a degree, uh, I think folks are looking for the silver bullet. I'm not going to tell you that we're the silver bullet, but I am going to say to you that if you can do right by one group, I think you can do right by two, by four, and by eight. And that's why trust is everything in our organization, right? We really mm. stand behind this ability of service and delivery and being who we are. Uh, and I think that is that credibility 
we're trying to build every single day. And we take those relationships very seriously. And I think it's why probably the largest testament to our growth, if that helps answer your question. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, that, that does help. I appreciate you going into that. Um, it, I want to talk about where you're focused from a market, and then we're going to jump down to the bottom of the, the show here. Uh, you, you mentioned Texas. You guys have some had some growth, I, I think, I believe, as well as in Florida. Is it yep. just you guys are targeting these areas or just going where the the builders are calling you? Yeah, it's the latter. Uh, right now, you know, we are we are slowly building our sales and marketing engine as a team. Uh, we do finally have a, an actual sales team. It was just myself and my co-founder Phil Warland. Uh, he and I were really the sales and marketing engine the last four and a half years. Love now it. we actually have a team. Uh, so it's been it's been crazy now to have that. But yeah, no doubt uh, it has been the latter where you know it's it's Florida, Texas, Arizona, uh, Utah. Uh, really are kind of our big markets. We're in the Carolinas and some other places. We serve about 165 or so uh, clients across the U.S. Uh, and that number continues to grow uh, every week here. And it's been really intense. I'm laughing because it's uh, sometimes I have to pinch myself because I remember there was three of us in the basement of my house in 2019 and we were excited when we signed our first contract. So it's uh, surreal sometimes to see what happens when you uh, really try to push. It's kind of neat. Yeah, that'd be a crowded basement today with 30-some 30, 30 people hanging out downstairs. <laughs> a little uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, a little uncomfortable. We were in uh, like a 160-square-foot back room that I made an office that, that worked. So Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you're going to have to update the, the drink fridge uh, <laughs> with that many people yeah. for sure, for sure. No doubt, and, no doubt. Now, you get a good view of different markets and, and seeing what's being built. I remember, um, you know, cluster homes used to be like the what it was referred to as like how homes are built, you can see when you fly over areas, right? Some of them have that nice gentle swoop. Some of them are like perfect lines. What's, what are these neighborhoods looking like these days that people are building? Is it all over the board or is it still kind of like standard? I think, no, no, I do think it's all over the board. One of the big things we especially see now in modern planned communities is this notion of what we call anti-monotony. So this idea that sort of the curbscapes mm. and everything around it feels more organic and feels more personal. So though the homes are, are are maybe close, if you will, between each other, maybe 15 to 30 feet apart, depending on where you are, and maybe 45 to 60 foot lots, depending on what we're talking about, um, there is sort of a uniqueness around, most importantly, not just the curbscape, but also how elevations, colors all come together, right? So you could have identical mm -hmm. floor plans, but the elevation footprint is what's really important, sort of telling a curated story. And I think some of the best developers do that today, and you can just see that. Examples of that as an analog would be Tavistock Developments. Uh, Laureate Park, I think, is a great example. Uh, Tavistock's uh, new Sunbridge product, I think, looks really remarkable down there in Orlando, uh, as I think is a good example. Some of the stuff that we see in the villages in Lakewood Ranch, not the villages, but there's 12 villages in Lakewood Ranch in Sarasota. Mm -hmm. You'll see a lot of nuance, I think, that if you were boots on the ground, you would see some personalization that feels more charming, less track homey, if that makes sense. So Yeah, so yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Well, hey, we're going to jump into what I like to call for the future. For the future is when I get to ask each guest who comes to the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. John, you ready to oh play? I'm ready to play. I'll do my best. Here we go. All right, here we go. Question number one, what does Sicilian Partners look like one year from now? Uh, how do you want me to answer that question? <laughs> uh, are we talking revenue? Are we talking team? You follow let's your say, heart. Let's say team. All right, I'll follow my heart. Well, we will be a 50-person company, and we will have 250 customers. Boom. Number two, this is the, the magic question. I feel like if you could figure this one out, I'd love it. Do you think we'll ever catch up to the housing demand 
nationwide and why? Never. It'll be, it'll be, it's a mathematical impossible equation. I think we already have a backlog of millions of homes that we can't reach. And I think as uh, the millennial demographic, which is the largest cohort, uh, is 84 million millennials. Uh, and I believe now 75% of them have the ability to buy a home or could be in the market to buy a home or rent. Uh, we will never catch up uh, unless there's some sort of cool futuristic automation that starts to happen. But I just don't believe it's possible. I did so. think about, I was going to ask you about 3D homes and, and all that yeah. kind of stuff, if that would change anything. Do, do you think that that could change the the speed at which we could I deliver? I think it could change. I think I think it's about lot availability. Part of the challenge, right, or is raw land being available, planted and ready, lot ready, if you will. Mm. So the question is, how fast can we curate land to be lot ready, then get houses on those lots? I think that's a whole challenge unto itself. Uh, but no doubt, there could be uh, just a faster way of, of building homes. I think I was reading somewhere. I don't want to name the builder because I'm going to misspeak, but I did read that on the 3D building side, you go from, I think, foundation to move in in like six weeks, I think. Uh, I mean, some of the some of the stats are, are crazy. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. But, it's but pretty yeah. fast. And, you know, I, I like to think that it's going to bring down the, the, the cost of housing or could, but then um, I go back to, but a lot of cost of housing is baked into the land and location and position. So maybe the initial cost, but it'll always adjust back to what's most desirable, where do people want to go? But yeah, that's interesting. No doubt. All right. Question no number three here. What's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? Ooh. So I think this notion of, of this, this concept that people don't want to see things in real life. What I mean by that is, especially in our industry, there's been a narrative where folks want to be the Tesla of home building. And I think that's a great sort of misrepresentation of what really happens when a, a Tesla buyer goes through the experience of building their car online. So the dynamic mm -hmm. of that, everything is done online in a vacuum is simply not true. Uh, you are going to have to be a well-oiled machine to engage with your customer both online and in person the exact same way and create what I call a parallel touch, meaning the same great experience you provide online, you must provide in person. Uh, that's never going to go away. I, I just don't believe it. All right. Last one on For the Future. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? Well, that's a hard question. Um, I don't know the answer to that. That's a good one. You actually stumped the band on me, Nate. I never get stumped and you got me on this one. Uh, I think that uh, tech advances. I don't know if something will go away. Maybe it'll be more additive. Uh, and so what I mean by that is I think that we will get better, more efficient at how we engage with the home buyer from start to finish. Uh, and especially if you're a production builder that builds in, let's say, 300, 400, 500, you know, tertiary markets across the country, you'll be better on the marketing and operation side, meaning you'll know who your customer is to create a lookalike. You'll know how to price your product based on other repeat things that have sold in the past. Uh, and you'll just be quicker at that. You'll have a higher level of efficiency and understanding because your data house will be in order and you'll be smarter, faster, better at your job. So that's what I would say. Cool. No, that, was, that was great. I don't think you guys stumped you at all on that one at all. You just had a little little speed bump there. All right, last that's three right. here. Last three here, John. These are going to be more about you so our listeners get to know you just a bit better. First one, what are you reading? Woo. Good question. Uh, right now, I am through the process of reading Peter Thiel's book, Zero to One. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a really, really interesting uh, book. It's kind of the concept of if you're a visionary or if you're a, an entrepreneur, 
you know, what problem do you see that others don't that you can solve? That's sort of the thesis. So that's number two. Yeah. Number two, who are you learning from? I am learning from uh, my kids, actually. It's a funny question. Um, I have two daughters who are four and eight, uh, Stella and Delilah, who just got done with uh, a trip uh, recently. And I will say to you that, you know, seeing them sort of grow and change and the observations they have on people and the observations they have on family, I find to be so enlightening at times. And if you really listen and lean into your kids, there's sort of unfiltered, unbridled feedback and observations uh, are really interesting. And so uh, that's been fun, uh, to be honest with you. Yeah, you so, yeah. asking for some feedback when you guys ship a new app. Yeah, I could. <laughs> I could ask them for feedback. On the work side, if you want to be really sincere, on the work side, it's always our customers. We are very big on customer-led innovation. And so on the work side, I would tell you that we're always, always seeking feedback openly from our clients around how to be Very better. cool. That's just something we do. Yeah. All right, last one here. What inspires you? I have to go back to what I just said a moment ago. Uh, my, my family, you know, my my uh, my daughters, my wife, uh, you know, my wife's Jennifer is also our CFO, so it's very much a family business still in that way, even though we're growing and scaling. Uh, but no doubt, uh, you know, I, I want to be a better person, uh, father, husband, and leader for them. Uh, that's I don't want to sound contrived; it's real, uh, and it's highly motivating to you know have them be such a close part of my daily life and work life with Jennifer, obviously as our CFO. So, uh, 100%, uh, my girls. John has been awesome having you on the show. Uh, we, we, we don't get a chance to talk about new home construction and some of the, the interesting things that are really happening on that side of the real estate industry very often. So I'm glad to have you here and uh, Thank you. congrats on not staying in Jersey and seeing the light. And knowing that the Keystone State is a better place to hang. But before we go ahead and close this out, uh, for those who want to get in touch with you or learn more about Sicilian Partners, where do they go? How do they do that? Yeah, just uh, check us out on LinkedIn. We have a very active presence uh, on SicilianPartners.com to learn more about our business. Cool. And I'll put those links in the show description. You can always find those on uh, technest.io. But hopefully uh, we'll catch you around next time um, back east. Until then, we'll see you later. Nate, thanks. Thanks for listening to TechNest, the PropTech podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the TechNest team, thanks for listening.